near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 376, January 28th, 2022. Be the first to show love. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, what near-death experiences may teach about life on the other side. Today we're going to share an experience from a listener who contacted me just yesterday, and I was so excited to uh, hear this experience because of how insightful it is uh, that I quickly asked permission, can I share this? And, and they said yes. So, And it's actually two experiences. Uh, one that is a near-dying experience, uh, including a near-death experience, and the later one was more of a spiritually transformative experience with all of the ingredients of a near-death experience, which is to say uh, that uh, he had two spiritually transformative experiences, one which involved near-death and the other which was more in kind of a spiritual setting. So equally real, equally validating experiences, and also a demonstration that while nearly dying can bring one a spiritually transformative experience, it's not the only way to have one. So, this is Matt. Matt says, The first incident happened when I was in the ninth grade back in 1978. My best friend and I were spending a hot summer afternoon at the river. It was a popular gathering spot, and there were a lot of people along the shores of both sides. Periodically, a small barge would haul gravel to an inlet along the river that opened into a sort of bay. We ended up wandering to the inlet because it was a little upstream from the crowded shores, and no one else was there. When my friend and I saw the barge coming, we decided it would be a brilliant idea to race across the river before it got to us. It was only about 40 or so yards across at that point, so we dove in and started swimming across. It didn't take long before the high-top tennis shoes I was wearing became waterlogged and started getting really heavy. My feet felt like I had weights attached to them, and they started to pull me down. Needless to say, my progress slowed quite a bit. The barge was getting closer, much faster than we anticipated, and it wasn't slowing down. It seemed like a really long time had passed, but I'm sure it was only a minute or so. I started to go under, and panic set in. In my exhausted state, I had the idea that I should just let my shoes pull me down, and then I could walk across the river bottom to the opposite shore. 
My friend noticed me bobbing and gasping, so he started pushing and hitting me from behind, yelling, Don't you dare go under! Keep swimming! Keep swimming! Soon I could barely move my arms. Then, in the middle of all that chaos, an inner voice came to me that said, Don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. You have nothing to fear. It was like being embraced and suddenly enveloped in peace itself. It was an amazing feeling. So much peace and serenity. My first thought was, I really am drowning. This is it. Then I reflected about how it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. I was totally fine with it. In fact, it felt so wonderful that I was looking forward to it. Suddenly, I saw everything that was happening around me. I was aware of my friend's effort to keep me afloat. I was aware of all the other swimmers at the river and how they were unaware of what was happening to me. I saw my sister and her friends along the shore. I saw the barge coming upon us fast. I saw myself struggling. I saw everything at once. However, it was like I was totally separated from the whole scene. I was in a bubble of perfect peace and tranquility. I was not aware of floating above my body or even being separated from my body. I was just hyper-aware of everything going on around me and could see everything at once. As I saw all this, the thought never came to me to feel sad or about how much my family or friends might miss me. I was completely detached from the whole thing. It was like the whole event had no more weight than if I were walking in a quiet garden saying to myself, Huh, look at that. I'm struggling. Oh wow, what a beautiful day it is. We finally made it to the opposite shore. I can't tell you how long the whole experience lasted. It could have been a couple of seconds or it could have been several minutes. Inside that bubble, it was as if time didn't exist. It's hard to explain, but... It was like stepping outside of this life into an isolated and protected space that exists totally separate from what is here and now. I can't pinpoint the exact moment when I came back from that peaceful place. It seems like it was the moment we reached the shore and tried to get out of the water. We were so exhausted that neither of us could even do a single push-up to lift ourselves up. We just rolled onto our backs and laid there for about ten minutes with our legs halfway in the water. Anyone looking at us probably thought we were two teenage boys lounging on the shoreline in the sun. As we laid there, all I could think about was the feeling of peace I had just experienced, and how the actual process of dying was so different from the dreaded, fearful event I had always envisioned. To this day, I have absolutely no fear of death. Reflecting on it now, I wonder if the timeless aspect of the experience is why I can still go back to that peaceful space almost any time I want. I don't mean that I can see everything that's happening around me like I could then, but I can return at any time to that space of peace with the knowledge that everything will be okay. I don't know. One thing that is strange is that the experience affects me now more than it did just after it happened back then. It's like the more time that goes on, the stronger the experience becomes in my mind. The next experience happened in 1995. 
I'm really hesitant to write about this one. It's not really an NDE, but it has had a profound impact on my life and is something that I remember like it just happened a few minutes ago. I was sitting in a small chapel one afternoon when I was suddenly overcome by an intense feeling of love. The only way I can describe it is that it was like giant ocean waves washing over me again and again. I don't know if you've ever been to the ocean along the Pacific Northwest coast, but the water is not exactly warm. In fact, it is downright cold. If you stand in the water and let the waves roll over you, it can take your breath away. Not in a figurative sense, but quite literally. It is so cold, it is hard to catch your breath. Well, the aspect of trying to catch my breath was the way it was with me in the chapel. I didn't actually see any waves, but I could sense them as they approached. They were massive, like a series of huge tidal waves, several stories tall. Each time they hit me, my breath was taken away. I've never felt such love as that. Of all the things I wish I could pass on and share, it is that. However, there is no way mere words can even come close. The love, love, love. It was like it was the only thing there was. Everything else simply vanished out of existence completely. It had immense power and substance. And this will sound weird, but it was alive. I've heard people referring to God's love as a creative force. Well, this love could have created anything it wanted, from the tiniest flower to multiple galaxies. There was no question of its magnitude and power. I remember thinking that no one could be in that state for very long and survive. It was just too overwhelming. In fact, after a couple of minutes, I finally asked God to take the feelings away so that I could breathe normally again. The waves kept coming, though. They didn't stop. They got even more intense. Next, I heard a low, rushing sound, like a really strong wind. I thought that maybe the waves were starting to make sounds. Then I felt the strangest sensation of being lifted up, as if being pulled. It's hard to explain what it felt like exactly, because when someone is lifted up, the sensation from their body comes from where the person doing the lifting is holding on. For example, when a parent lifts a child, the child will feel pressure pushing up from under their arms where the parent's hands are holding on to them, or on their wrists where their arms are being wrapped around them. This was coming from above. The nearest thing I can think of is the feeling you might get if you held a vacuum cleaner hose just above your skin but didn't let it touch you. You would feel the suction from the hose pulling against your skin. It was like that, only all over. There was a sudden whoosh. Then I was in a really confined space, rushing upward really, really fast. I didn't see a tunnel, but I had the sense that I was in one. For some reason, I, it never dawned on me to look up to see where I was heading. I just kept looking at the wall directly in front of me where I could see hundreds, maybe thousands of small streaks of different colored lights I was zooming past. 
I don't know what they were. I didn't get the sense that they were people or spirits or anything else other than faint colored streaks of light. Other than that, for the most part, it was dark. I couldn't tell you how long I was in the tunnel. It seemed like I was there for a really long time. But it might have been only a few seconds. I don't know. I had the feeling that I could have stayed there for as long as I wanted. The next thing I knew, I was standing under the dome of an absolutely massive cathedral. The odd thing was that I could not see what it was made of. The dome didn't seem to consist of any building material, but was instead made up of hundreds of thousands of people, all standing as if singing in a choir. It was the same even at the very top of the dome. When I say massive, I mean it was bigger than any stadium I have ever seen. A football field would have seemed like a small area rug if it was placed in the middle. I just stood there, gawking at the sight. It's hard to guess how far away the opposite side of the dome was. I looked to my left towards the opposite side of the dome, and it was like looking at the opposite end of a packed stadium. It would have been impossible to identify any pers- one person out of the crowd. I tried to focus my gaze on one lady who was standing way up high and was instantly only a couple of feet in front of her, like there was no distance at all. I could have reached out and touched her if I wanted to. I did not recognize her, and she did not seem to be aware of my presence. She just kept singing. Then... Just as quickly, I was back on the floor of the cathedral where I had previously been. I looked to the center of the floor where everyone's attention was focused, and I saw what I instantly knew to be God's throne. I did not see God. It was even hard to see the throne, not because it was obscured from view or because something was blocking my line of sight, but because of its orientation. There is no way I can convey this properly, but here goes. It was facing all directions at once. I don't mean like a bench that wraps around a fountain or tree. It had a back, a seat, and arms just like a chair, but it was pointing in every direction at the same time. Up, down, everywhere. Three dimensions are not enough to explain it. It was very big but not so big that a regular-sized person would never be able to sit in it. If I had to guess, I would say the seat was maybe 20 feet high. It was a gold-like color, only lighter, like it was made of a translucent gold, or like gold turned into light. Although I could see it then, I can't picture it very clearly now. As I was looking at the throne, A group of three women came toward me. Two I did not recognize, but the third one in the front, who was leading the others, was smiling at me and just pouring out love toward me. And she was glowing from the inside, as if she was made of light. It was beautiful. I knew who she was instantly, even though I never met her. She lived and died long before I was even born, Yet it felt like I had known her forever. 
She came up to me like I was her long-lost brother, and she was so happy to see me again. Her smile was so warm and loving. She didn't say anything, but in my mind I could hear her tell me that I was on the right path and that I was greatly loved. She was so proud of me and wanted me to continue the way I was going. She said God loved me immensely, more than I could ever imagine. I wanted to ask her what I was supposed to do, what my purpose in life was. I knew that I was only there to visit for a short time and that I had to return to my life here. The only thing that was conveyed was, always strive to be the first to show love, the first to show mercy in every situation, no matter the cost. The next thing I knew, there was a whooshing sound and I was headed back at a tremendous speed. Then it was over. The whole thing seemed like it lasted only seconds, but almost an hour had passed. That's it. I know I didn't explain things too well, but I tried. Regards, Matt. Oh my goodness, thank you, Matt, for sharing this. This, you, you say you didn't explain things too well. I don't think anybody can, but you did a marvelous job. <laughs> your your uh, descriptions of, of the love and the, uh, the cathedral, uh, I mean, just so cool. Okay, let's let's talk about some of this, these things, just because there is so much here uh, worth talking about. Um, I'm going to have to be careful not to go an hour-long podcast, but because this is just so cool, some of this stuff. First off, the nearly drowning, well, the drowning experience, really. Um, I would say, of all the ways that people die and have a near-death experience, I think drowning seems to be the most, one of the most common uh, ways to die and have a near-death experience. And I've thought a little bit about this and why it is that so many people die of drowning and come back. And I have a suspicion that drowning is is a form a, a form of dying that is actually not too difficult to resuscitate from. You think about other things like heart attacks, um, I mean, cancer, you know, uh, death-defying accidents where you smash into something or a car hits you or, you know, they, they can often be so impactful that coming back is actually quite difficult or, or that your body is not very well repairable, you know, that it's hard to repair that body. But drowning is just like fill your lungs with water, which just blocks up all of the, uh, all of the air, you know, oxygen receiving receptors, whatever. And then just choom, the moment you're locked up from air your body just, you know, shuts down. I mean, it's it's seconds usually from the time that they take that first inlet of breath, which it sounds like Matt didn't even have that quite. He didn't have a full, you know, breathing in water situation. At least he doesn't mention one. Um, it's more for him, it seems that that he just knew his time had come. And and this feeling of peace that, that settled over him was kind of a almost like a transitional thing, like this this emotion comes in order to prepare him for the death he's about to experience, and then he's even over this situation, watching his body struggle, which again, there's that situation of seeing one's body 
doing the struggling outside of one's own consciousness, which is so interesting. And, uh, but, uh, so, you know, with, with drowning, there is a very short time between realizing, uh-oh, I'm about to die. And then, say, sucking in that water or realizing that you're about to suck in that water or realizing you're just not going to make it. And so having that, that uh, realization, your spirit realizing, time to go, because there seems to be something to that. And, and when the spirit thinks subconsciously or however that works, time to go, it tends to go. And it sounds like uh, Matt had a little bit of a, a work into that with the uh, feelings of peace and tranquility that came over him. It's kind of, he even describes he's kind of looking forward to death at this point, you know. Um, and, and it's not like he's just like swimming along and he's like, oh, looks like I'm not going to make it. OK, well, this will be fun. No, he says there's a point where he's, he, he was starting to go under and he starts to panic. And it's in this exhausted state where he's just like desperately thinking of anything to do. His shoes are holding him down. Feels like, well, maybe I could just walk along the the base of the river until we get to the other side because the, the shoes feel like they're pulling me down so hard. And uh, whether or not that would have even been possible, I'm I'm kind of thinking with the, being a fairy, uh, I think that's what he said it was, a, a fairy going along, it probably would have been too deep for that to be... Uh, a viable possibility, but in that in that state of panic where you're just like, what can I do? What in the world can I possibly do? He, he's realizing, it, I can't, and you know, I, I've got to try this other thing, and his friend says, no, keep going, don't you dare go under, keep swimming, keep swimming, and probably his friend saved his life in the sense that if it weren't for his friend, maybe he wouldn't have been back you know, it's a good chance that he wouldn't have come up in time and his body would have been irrecoverable um, for his spirit to re-enter. I don't know. We, we, we can't know, I guess. But, uh, but he does have this moment where he realizes that it, it's, it's about over. He says, in the middle of all that chaos, an inner voice came and said to me, don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. You have nothing to fear. Now, that is such an interesting point right there. What is it that we fear in this life? If you were to take, you know, write down the fears of everyone, you know, or, or even have them put all their fears in a particular order, the one that would generally come to the top is death. And why is that? Well, quite simply, it's the end of this experience. And for many people... They have no idea that there is something on the other side that we continue on. And, uh, and so it's the end of everything for them, at least from their perspective. They believe it is. And even for those of us that are believers and, and believe that there is afterlife, that God is real and so forth, that we can go to heaven and, and so forth, there's still fear. What about, what if I haven't been good enough? What if I blew it in this life and, and now I'm going to face judgment of some kind you know what what's you know what's going to happen to me you know how is this going to feel is it going to hurt is there going to be moment of excruciating pain that seems to go on forever before i die you know there's so many things to fear about death 
it, so it totally makes sense that this is our greatest fear as a society. And yet this voice is saying correctly and accurately, don't be afraid, it's going to be all right, you have nothing to fear. And then, of course, with that voice comes that envelopment in peace and joy that Matt describes, being embraced and suddenly enveloped by peace itself. And, and at that point, there's so much peace and serenity that his thought is, I'm really drowning. This is it. He says, then I reflected about how it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. I was totally fine with it. In fact, it felt so wonderful that I was looking forward to it. Isn't that interesting? Now, I wouldn't suggest to anyone to look forward to death in order to speed up the process to get there. Please don't. You have things to do while you're here, and we've talked about that, and we will continue to talk about that. You have things to do. Do not rush this process. You have very important things to live for. Even those who have near-death experiences can attest. I was sent back because I wasn't done. I had work to do. Anyway, just know that you have nothing to fear around death. It's going to be all right. In fact, to be fair, it's something to look forward to when the time comes in its proper due course. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he's seeing all these things happen around him. He's seeing it as, not as like, oh, I'm up here, but my body's down there, but just kind of being... It's, it's almost like he's seeing this from all perspectives and seeing it from this omniscient kind of point of view. What is that? What is that? It happens several times throughout near-death experiences that I have read this kind of formless consciousness that the person is in. It's very interesting, almost like they're seeing through the eyes of another being or... It's more than that, though, because they're seeing from all perspectives. It's, it's like they're not limited to their first-person perspective, but seeing from all sides. So cool. So cool. Okay, so then, as, he's, uh, as his body comes out of the water, um, he's kind of observing all this um, and, and feeling this overwhelming peace, just comfortable, and so forth. And as many have described in near-death experiences, it's almost like the the situation below is just no, 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 that's that's interesting, but not not that interesting. But what a beautiful day it is, and I'm feeling so good. What a great day, you know. It's just kind of feeling really nice, not concerned about the family you might be leaving behind or how people might be, you know, broken up by this. How the friend might feel horrible and shame for having, you know, brought, brought up or encouraged the idea of, of racing the, the boat across the river. I mean, all these things that here would be absolutely traumatizing, they're not even on the radar. You can't blame somebody for that. This is something where, where they're filled with so much peace and so much tranquility that, that you know, and, and being outside of the body and outside of this panicky situation, it's just what is. And it's, you know, everything around is beautiful because life is beautiful. Existence is beautiful. And I am not a part of what's going on down there. So anyway, kind of interesting. Um, after he 
comes back to his body. They're just laying there on the shore. And I'm kind of unclear, I'd, I'd have to ask Matt, uh, but uh, I'm kind of unclear whether he is experiencing both this omniscient view, I guess you might say, and the view from his body, or whether he is just watching his body struggle below and totally un... I mean, he's, he's unattached, or he's, you know, this, this part of him that is seeing all this is clearly unattached from his body, but is there also a second part of him that is experiencing within the body? I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't mention that. I, I gather that less often is that the case, but often enough that's the case that it, I am left to question whether that's the case or not for Matt. But either way, it's a very interesting um, thing that he is, he is going through. And he's laying there on the shore afterward. They're absolutely exhausted, just absolutely bushed because they've, they've just pushed them, their bodies beyond their capacity and uh, got themselves out of the water um, with each other's help, especially the friend's help, it sounds like. Um, and then they're just laying there recovering, really. But uh, Matt is also, like, thinking on this incredible love that he just experienced. And it left him with this absolute lack of fear of death. Those who have been to to the point of death and beyond it, and conscious beyond it, come back unafraid. That should tell us something. That should tell us something. Now, interestingly, uh, Matt also describes that that peaceful space, that timeless sense that he of 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 just loving, you know, tranquility. He says he's able to go back to almost any time he wants, kind of on command. I, you know, probably not in an instant. I don't know. I'd have to ask him specifically, but um, probably just allowing himself to get into a meditative state he can just return to that feeling not the situation and the view and everything like that but the but that sense of timeless tranquility and he says i don't know one thing that is strange is that the experience affects me now more than it did just after it happened back then it's it's like the more time that goes by the stronger the experience becomes in his mind I think that is so cool, so cool, and it reflects on that timeless aspect. It's like, it's like if it really was timeless, it then it is unaffected by the day and time that the actual nearly dying happened, and yet throughout his life he is able to return there mentally, spiritually, whatever, um, any day, which is really cool, really cool. And it also makes me think, maybe there is something to this meditation thing, and I don't know, I'd have to talk to those who meditate, who have meditated before a near-death experience and and the uh, sensations they get um, in meditation, and then had a near-death experience and had these kind of feelings and experience, and then came back and continues to meditate, and they would be able to say, yeah, I experienced this in meditation before, then I experienced it on my 
in my experience and now I experience it after through meditation. I don't know. They might say, well, meditation was nothing before, but now that I've experienced the other side, I can experience a depth that I never could before. I don't know. We, we have to find somebody like that. And um, if Matt is in that situation, please reach out to me and <laughs> tell me. I, I'm just curious if those of us that do actively meditate regularly, if we're experiencing some something of that tranquility. I know for myself, when I am meditating, when it's really going well, and I'm not giving in to distracting thoughts and so forth, and just, you know, letting them drift by like clouds, and, and getting to this point of just absolute comfort in what I'm doing, not wanting to be anywhere else, doing anything else, and totally content with the universe. And totally content with the fact that in a few minutes I'll have to go do something else. That's okay too. That's great. And this is one of the reasons I do it in the morning because I really love this work that I'm doing, both with the podcast and and other efforts that I'm making. And so, you know, maybe it would be different if I knew I had. No, it's it's actually not. When even when I am getting ready to go to do work that I really don't want to do because I do have some cleaning work that I want to do and. Some days I'm just not looking forward to it, but when I'm in that meditative state and it's really working well, it's fine. It's like in a few minutes I'll have to stop, and that's okay. That's okay. There's a little bit of a timelessness about it, maybe not as much as one experiences in a near-death experience. Again, we'd have to hear from somebody who's seen it from all three sides, (laughs) you might say. Okay, so let's get into the really big experience, which is really fascinating. And I can understand Matt's hesitancy to to share this simply because it was not surrounding death. Many people are squeamish about sharing the... I, that's the wrong word. Squeamish is not uh, the way to describe it. They, they say, well, this wasn't a near-death experience. And so, is it was it really valid? Was it really... Absolutely, it's valid. Absolutely, it is. And obviously... A doubter, somebody who's who just doesn't believe in near-death experiences, is going to say, "Well, that's nice. You dozed off and had this beautiful dream," and they're going to have their own explanations for it. And and I get it. I I totally understand why people come to those conclusions. It's because they don't believe that these things are real. But for those who do believe it's real and have and have heard enough experiences like this to recognize it for what it is an absolutely spiritually transformative experience in which the person, their spirit, goes to the other side. And whether that travel is some kind of physical change of location, I mean, it's not even fair to call it physical because it's the spirit that's that's having the experience. Is this something that's within every individual inside the body somehow or... Is it not confined to space or time at all? In which case, what does it even mean to be going to another realm or dimension? I, you know, I'm not sure how that all works. But I gather that that uh, Matt's experience being in this chapel and just having these feelings of love coming over him, it's almost like he's being prepped for leaving. And again, I don't know if this is a the spirit is actually leaving his body or if it's if it's just kind of folding in on itself to go to the other side you know again time and space are not really factors in all of this so 
it's hard to know what words to use and and matt does a great job trying so um okay so he's in this chapel and he feels these waves of love coming now i would be interested to know what exactly he was doing in the chapel you know because those of us who want to have these kind of experiences would love to know what to do to prep for it i have a feeling and i gather that it's got to be a combination of two things one you got to be in the right state of mind whatever you know in, in some kind of you know good preparation state and number two the other side has got to open the door if the other side doesn't open the door it just doesn't happen now i'm calling those prerequisites to having a spiritually transformative experience that is not surrounding an injury or accident or nearly dying uh, i think dying is another way to bypass that that uh you know you're slammed through the door you know basically you're you're tossed through the door it's like the door was kicked down and whether those on the other side um were ready for you or not there you are you know in that because many people are are you know approached and told what are you doing here (laughs) usually there's someone on the other side that says yes I knew you were coming kind of thing, but it's time to go back, you know, and, and they're there to meet you, even though others are saying, yeah, come on down, you know, and so forth. It's it's kind of, you know, death is a way of kicking down the door, but being invited from the other side is another way. And that seems to be what's going on here with Matt. It seems to be what happens to many people. I have at least two people in my immediate growing up family that that have had experiences like this either in a setting like Matt describes such as prayer uh, you know being in a chapel somewhere uh, quiet and serene or uh, through dreams and and the feelings and detailed descriptions are so like what we hear in near-death experiences that I'm like okay that was not a dream you it may have been you may have been in a dream when you you know went into this experience but that was not a dream from that point on and so forth and, but uh, again so this prerequisite seems to be in some state of preparation and sometimes nearly being asleep sometimes being asleep sometimes being in meditation sometimes being you know reading uh, some kind of sacred uh, books, uh, scripture, uh, something that, you know, prayer, things like that, something that has you in that, that calm state. And then heaven opens the door from the other side and you come in for a short time. That seems to be the most common ways that people have these kind of spiritually transformative experiences. And um, while Matt doesn't necessarily describe someone meeting him right there and saying, okay, let's go, kind of thing. There is this sense that uh, this this uh, girl or uh, woman that he meets on the other side, the sorry, the three women that meet him, the one approaches him, and they know each other. They have known each other always. And uh, I, I wanted to get to that shortly, so I don't, wanna, don't want to... Uh, bounce around too much but it seems that uh, she among others have invited Matt to the other side 
and uh, and these spirits that you know we'll talk about anyway. Okay, so he is having these waves of uh, ocean waves of love coming over him, and he can even sense some level of space about them because though he can't see them, he can sense that they are massive. You know, skyscraper, uh, massive. Uh, huge tidal waves uh, coming over him and uh, and when as they're coming he's almost overwhelmed to the point of like I, I can't take any more than this and he's even praying you got to hold back I, I'm, I can't withstand more than this well it keeps coming and in that coming there's this rushing sound like a strong wind the moment he's talked about the sound of rushing wind, I'm remembering uh, in several experiences in Scripture, both in the Bible and in um, some of my own religion Scripture, where there's this sound of rushing wind that washes over a room, and it's always in this, you know, Pentecostal type situation or or experience and that's why they've come to be called pentecostal uh, experiences is because in the days of pentecost when the apostles are speaking to the people and there's the sound of rushing uh, wind and so forth um, there is something of it's like the veil has split open and love and maybe spirits or maybe you know just uh, gifts of healing and whatever are rushing through, gushing through, really. And in this gushing, um, Matt is invited right in. He, he's sucked in, in fact, describing it as being suctioned, as if through a giant vacuum that is sucking every part of his body into what feels like a tunnel. And he is rushing forward. He doesn't think to look toward where he's going. I imagine he probably would have seen a light if he had, but he's just looking out through the walls, apparent, you know, that he don't, he doesn't see, but he senses them there, uh, of this tunnel, and he's looking out and seeing these colorful lights just as he's rushing past them. He doesn't sense them to be people or, you know, like other dying people or something like we sometimes describe, not to say that it's not them in other people's experiences, but that's not the sense that uh, Matt has. He doesn't seem to sense them as being other people, but, but these beautiful colors. And next thing he knows, he is in the dome. He's under the dome of an absolutely massive cathedral. Now, my, my little um, radars of uh, looking for data points um, immediately goes up at this. And as he's describing this massive um, cathedral, my mind first goes to, oh, the auditorium, the, the Colosseum, whatever you might call it. There seems to be some kind of big auditorium, cathedral, some kind that people go to. But interestingly, Matt's experience is slightly different from the description given by others in that the throne of God is at the center. And I have heard many experiences from people describing the throne room, the room where God's throne is. And 
whether it's described identically or not, I think is actually not important. Some people would suggest, well, what do you mean? Of course, they either they're seeing God's throne room or they're not. But And, and so it's going to look the same to everybody. But keep in mind, when he sees the throne itself, he is seeing it in such a multidimensional state that it is as if it is this massive 20-foot throne, you know, give or take, whatever, but that a person could fit in, okay, but um, but it's facing every direction, not in some, you know, tree, uh, bench wrapped around a tree kind of a way, or, or, you know, like a seat that goes around a fountain, but rather it is the structure of a throne, as you picture a throne, but it is facing every direction at the same time. Up, down, right, left, northeast, southwest, everything. Every possible direction it is facing simultaneously. And of course, in his mortal mind, he's looking back on this and saying, I I can't picture it now. At the time, it made sense. At the time, I could comprehend what was happening and what I was seeing. But, you know, thinking back on it, it's hard to picture it because it's, you know, I mean, how do you describe something in that's taking place in four dimensions or more, maybe, you know, and it's, and it's got this beautiful gold color that is emanating light um, as if it is the source of that light that is shining on it. It's shining out of it. So cool. So cool. And then his description also of the this cathedral that he can't see the walls, but he senses the shape of it and so forth seems to because it is absolutely filled, you know, at these edges with, I mean, light beings that are singing. People. Angels. The more I hear these kind of experiences, the clearer it seems to be that we are all these beings of light. We are all these spirit brothers and sisters, friends, close family, really. And anyway, he sees, he sees these, uh, these beings that are lining the, this massive stadium I mean, he even describes, you know, a football stadium would be like a rug sitting in the middle of a, if you put a rug in the middle of a, of a football field, it, you know, that's how big a football field would look in the stadium, if that makes sense. It's it's massive. And, you know, in, in our mortal state, there's no way that we would be able to focus on any one face out there among these, you know, this plethora of, of people that are surrounding him. And yet he focuses on, a, you know, one single lady that is there and instantly he finds himself there with her or next to her, close enough to touch her, but she doesn't notice him, which makes me think that it is not his body or his spirit body, if you will, that is going there, but his consciousness itself is going to her side so that he is able to see her, he is able to be, feel close enough to touch her, but then, you know, and she's just standing there singing, and, uh, and then he's instantly back 
on the you know ground of this auditorium, this cathedral, and uh, and that's when he starts noticing the throne as we've described it. Um, so interesting, this by attention ability, this ability to focus on more than one thing at once, but it's almost like wherever the attention is given, that's where he is, or that's where he, he is perceiving from at that moment. It, and not in any lacking way, not in any limited way, but completely, as if he is absolutely right there, you know, standing by her side. So interesting. So interesting. So here they are, or here he is, in this uh, throne room, and three women come toward him. Two of them he doesn't recognize. Now, I would be interested if he were to have concentrated on one or the other of the others, would he have begun to recognize them and be like, oh yeah, I remember you too. I don't know, because he is focused on this first one, this closest one, who is a dear and eternal friend who had lived and died before Matt was even born on the earth. And yet, he feels like he knew her forever. This is such a cool point. And I hear it come up often, but I, I don't tire of, of bringing it up. No matter how few friends you have on this side, no matter how disconnected you feel from other people, you have friends and relatives so close on the other side. I mean, besties of the besties. <laughs> on the other side that you have known for eternity, whom you have simply temporarily forgotten. And it's totally fine. Don't worry about it. No need to panic. When you see them on the other side, you will recognize them immediately. You will embrace them. And it will be this big reunion of like, hey, oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> all the things that you experience in a beautiful, loving reunion with the people who, who mean more to you than anyone else in the world. That's what's you know, going to happen when you see them. My guess is that you have millions of them. Now, that's impossible for us to comprehend because as science has said, over 150 people, and you can't possibly know them anymore. That's because we're mortal. In these mortal minds, we can't even watch two television shows at the same time without getting confused. And so, you know, it's... This is the mortal world that we're living in. Of course, we can't concentrate on that or understand it or feel the emotions and everything around everybody at the same time. We can't while we're here. But there, we can. And we will. And the cool thing about this reunion, too, there's not even words, at least language, you know, um, English being spoken here. It is just mind-to-mind, thought-to-thought, feeling-to-feeling communication where she communicates to him that he is on the right path and that he is greatly loved and that she's proud of him and wanted him to continue the way he was going. I mean, goodness, who would not react with, with just the most... I mean, what a, what a loving thing to receive. I mean, that is so cool. And then she says that God loves him immensely, more than he could ever imagine. I think any of us could get that message in pure, perfect, heavenly honesty. 
And then he asks her, what, what am I supposed to do? You know, what, what's my purpose in, in being on this earth? My guess is that when we get ready to leave for this earth, that memory has to be taken from us so that the purpose can be absolutely genuine. And uh, it, it seems kind of unfair to us now a lot of times because it's like, wait, you expect me to complete some great thing or complete some amazingly loving role, loving role, and you're not going to tell me anything about what it is? Come on. Come on. And we have that a little bit of that attitude here. But over there, it makes perfect sense. And it's, it's of course, you've got to do what you got to do, you know? And, of course, you can't know about it. <laughs> Other than, like Matt, he's told, or at least it is conveyed to him, a, a vague answer that will not... That does not give him specific directions, but rather kind of gives him a guideline of how he should put his mind or what his mindset or paradigm should be so that he can fulfill his purpose, which is always strive to be the first to show love, the first to show mercy in every situation, no matter what the cost or no matter the cost. I mean, that is so cool. That is so cool. Can you imagine if we all took that approach? Now, obviously, you know, when they say no matter the cost, being the first to show love, the first to f show mercy, we don't want to take that naively to say, let anybody do anything they want to you. Of course not. And we've talked about that. If you listen to more episodes of the show, you'll hear me rant about, about how we can't let evil... Um, go because we're being loving and forgiving or whatever. But to be the first to show love, the first to show mercy, that is powerful. Our first approach, our first response, the first of those around us, not that it's a competition, but be the first to show love, be the first to show mercy in every situation, no matter the cost. I mean, that, that is powerful. Imagine in every situation being the first to show love, the first to show mercy, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. I mean, this seems to sum up what people keep coming back when they ask, what is their purpose? What's, what's the point of existence? Why are we here? What, all those questions keep coming back and they say, well, it's, it's about love. It's about love. And this I like even more than that because it gives not just a vague love answer, which it, it shouldn't be considered vague, but it, it feels vague sometimes, to be the first to show it, to show love, to show mercy. And in every situation, now, we're not likely to always do that. We're not likely to always be the first to show love and mercy and, in every situation. But that's the mindset to strive for. At least that's the message that Matt was given. And it sounds very consistent with the messages that others bring back. And then, of course, there's many others that come back and, and they're told, Sorry, can't tell you that. <laughs> And the rest of us are pretty much in that situation because we have not, you know, maybe received it 
from a heavenly messenger, here's what you need to do. But all of it seems to reflect this message of love. So I think that is a mindset worth adopting, a thought worth having, a uh, paradigm worth pursuing. And I encourage all of you to do that in whatever way makes sense in your life, in your situation. Because when it comes down to it, like John always says, it's all about love. And with that, thank you again, all of you, for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can call or text the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970-NDE-CAST. This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude, and our attitude should always be love.